Welcome to the Holistic Icon Podcast, hosted by Dr. Nisha Chellam, a board-certified internist and holistic medicine specialist who understands the science of disease and the art of healing. Every week, Dr. Nisha gives you tips on how to take control of your health, because you are your best doctor. Here's your host and author of Transform Your Thyroid, Dr. Nisha Chellam. Hi guys on Facebook too, Dr. Chellam, Marina, and our guest uh, today is uh, Omar Desai, who is a certified homeopathic practitioner, and we are going to be discussing the authentic homeopathic treatments, which I think a lot of people um, consider homeopathic treatments as herbal treatments, or they call it holistic treatment, but it's actually a completely a different practice to address um, symptoms and some disease states. Correct. So if somebody were to ask you, how do you define homeopathy? What would you say? I I know you sent me a note saying it's a system of medicine. Right. So um, what exactly is homeopathy? If somebody wants to understand, hey, I go to a homeopath, Mm -hmm. they're under the impression they're taking an herbal medication. So what is actually homeopathy? So homeopathy is a system of medicine, but a lot of patients will come and say, I'm taking homeopathic medicine and they are taking extract capsules, supplements. That is not true homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Homeopathy is ultra diluted version of those herbals ah. um, extract, whether it is um, from vegetable kingdom or plant or animals, mm-hmm. rocks, minerals, snake venoms, etc. Okay, so that's why sometimes when you said that, it just occurred to me, some people who are very uh, plant-based will not take Mm -hmm. homeopathic treatments because sometimes the extracts can be from an animal source. Correct, yes. Just like how people, vegans don't have honey saying it's the... Coming from from the the insect. Yeah, yeah, insect. So now I get it. So basically, this is an extract or it could be an herb Mm -hmm. or it could be from a vegetable. It could be from an animal Mm -hmm. and um, or it could be made synthetically in a factory. Right. Correct. And it can be also from the infectious agents, which is where we call nozodes. Okay. So, yeah, it is all ultra diluted version. It is not the crude form of anything that's available in extract or powder form. Okay. So basically, um, it, when you say it's also from uh, the um, uh, in, uh, the antigen, which would be the virus, it's a part of the virus or a part of a cancer cell. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just, uh, it's ultra diluted. It is not, it is refined in some way it, mm-hmm. it, that it just projects as the enemy for mm-hmm. the immune system. So when you consume something that is given by a homeopathic practitioner, mm-hmm. you're actually getting your immune system mm-hmm. to recognize it. Mm-hmm. And the immune system be- begins to behave in such a way that it stops attacking the body and reduces the symptoms. Or am I understanding that right? Yes, it's partially right because it's the way how it works. Um, Two similar diseases are they don't stay in the system and the one that you're creating, that is your, what disease you have, it's a natural disease. The one when you're giving with the homeopathic remedy, it's considered as an artificial disease. Ah. And then when that comes to your system and it's powerful, you can handle the potency, you can handle the power and that's how it works with the immune system. And then it works... Um, in a way where it kind of 
um, there is something called primary action and secondary action of that particular extract. So, for example, when you're chopping the onion and you're getting those um, tears, tears, right? Mm -hmm. And same concept is for homeopathic remedies as well. Mm -hmm. So there is some, uh, I can explain in detail later on, but it's like primary action and secondary action. The entire homeopathy is based on that itself. Actually, you explained it very well when we were just discussing where you said if a, uh, you put light in a room and then we open the windows and the sunlight comes, right. you are going to be potentially seeing the more powerful light. If right. the sun is more powerful than the light that you have, you get to see more of the sunlight right. and less of the artificial light. Or if the artificial light is more powerful than a sun, mm-hmm. which is probably not a very bright sun in a day like this, then you get to see the artificial light. Yeah, so right. the homeopathy um, treatment actually educates the immune system mm-hmm. in such a way that the immune system is not creating the disease process, but it's actually shifting or it's anti-inflammatory or immune modulating. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a modulation of the immune system. Right. So no longer, you don't anymore have the disease and it keeps the disease somewhat under control. Under control. And I also feel that you, if you do get the same acute symptom again, for example, cold or cough or asthmatic attack, eventually your frequency and the intensity will be less because your body already learned with it. So um, that is the benefit as well for the homeopathic. Got it. So um, basically when, uh, who do you think should see a homeopath? Do you think homeopathic uh, remedies are good for everybody? (laughs) Normal, abnormal, uh, healthy, unhealthy, chronic diseases, acute diseases, who goes to a homeopath? I see a variety of patients. I see patients that they are um, very sick, they come to my door, or sometimes I see patients that they would say, can you just tell me, I'm fine, but can you tell me what's my constitutional medicine? Mm -hmm. So basically, I think anybody, even a healthy person can come and you'll find out there is one medicine that goes from head to foot for them mm. that resonates with that particular mineral or that particular vegetable uh, kingdom or a rock in a periodic tables. I really feel that anybody can go to homeopath. Um, but more so, the, the idea here is people will come to you when they are sick. Of yeah. course, that's that's what doctors are for, right? <laughs> Just when you're really dying, then you think about your doctor. Till then, you don't need one. Um, so when you say anybody can go to a homeopath, why would they go to a homeopath? I mean, is, does it prevent them from having common colds and infections, or does it strengthen their immune system in general? Why would somebody go to a homeopath? Um, I would say I don't. I would say everyone over here, we need some kind of help as simple as you can uh, give them cell salts for drainage remedies. Mm -hmm. You can give them um, the way how they cope with that particular circumstances. As you start talking to them, you find out they have some hidden emotions or some hidden stressors. um, Yeah, and they don't know how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. So homeopaths, I also think that they do coaching as mm-hmm. well, along with their constitutional medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to see them all the time. If you're well, you don't have to see them every month. You can yeah. 
give them one constitutional medicine that will be good for them for life. If their circumstances change, the medicine will change. Ah. But you can have, for, for me, my circumstances change, my medicine is going to be changed. Now that I'm here versus when I was back home in India. India. Okay. So let me ask you this. What is the training like for a homeopath? The training uh, in my training was different. And here, like mm-hmm. in India, we go from BHMS, which is Bachelor of Homeopathic Medicine and Surgery. You go through similar um, kind of tra- medical training where you have all the subjects, anatomy, physiology, all the way to the medicine. But your um, the mode of medications are all homeopathics. Got it. Um, so it's a five and a half years course in India. Um, over here, you do have to go through all the prereqs, and then you go for homeopathic therapeutics. So when you do uh, the prereqs, how many years is the prereqs and how many years is the homeopathic in, therapeutics Yeah, in the United States? In yeah. the United States, I know I've heard from people that it can take anywhere between three to four years, and then they have to take other courses, and mm-hmm. they have to um, take extra um, training um, in-house with other homeopathic practitioners as well okay to learn how to do the case taking to give the medicine what you've learned in the book versus what you see in the person is different so lots of trainings needed afterwards so we're really looking at a very similar way of education um, except that in a conventional medical doctor somebody Mm -hmm. like me goes also to medical school we're learning anatomy physiology Mm -hmm. uh, biochemistry pathology and then we learn pharmacology but Mm -hmm. at the pharmacology level you learn homeopathic Correct. remedies. That's the only difference. That right? is the only difference, yeah. I got it. So clinically, where would a homeopathic doctor learn? Like I go for an internship, I go to the hospital, mm-hmm. I go to other doctor's clinics. Where does a homeopathic practitioner learn uh, how to practice? Do they just work with other homeopaths? or? So in India, they have homeopathic hospitals. Hospitals, yes. So um, my training was um, in Anand Homeopathic mm-hmm. um, College, and ho- there was a hospital. So they have a setup where they have few allopathic doctors. They would come mm-hmm. for specialties, and then the interns were allowed to give the homeopathic remedies. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with the internship training over here. Okay. What I do know just is that you can go to master's homeopath. We would have students and study uh, classes, and that's usually how you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, or people go to India actually to, okay, to get, to get the training. Yes, from, yes. Just you know, that's always there as an option. <laughs> like so, uh, what are the countries that where homeopathy is like so common? It's more common than going to a regular doctor. Number one is India. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, lately, um, Africa, okay. Europe is another one, but yes. It's, going a bit down. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia was there, but again, I think there is a movement against homeopathy there. So so let's come to that topic of why is there so much of pushback uh, when it comes to homeopathy? What do you think? What do you think is happening? So I've heard people saying um, that's a, a sham science. That's mm-hmm. the commonest uh, complaint that they have. Uh, there's no uh, scientific uh, backing to homeopathic uh, treatments. And then uh, the other part is, um, I, I really think when ha- having been certified in integrative and holistic medicine, one of the small things that they teach us is how homeopathy works. Mm-hmm. And we find that the biggest pushback for a lot of these 
uh, so-called adjunct or alternative or complementary treatments is because we don't know how they actually work. Um, or we're not willing to open our eyes to see how they actually work. Right. Um, a lot of times uh, we talk about evidence based medicine. That's how most drugs are supposed to have come into the market, though you can say there are in the last, um, I think, 10 years, 146 uh, studies have been reversed or um, the recommendations have been reversed. So we basically harm a whole bunch of people, and then we say, oh, oops, we were wrong. Let's take that out. <laughs> that's, that's how we had the thalidomide uh, fiasco, right. you know, where you gave it for nausea, vomiting during pregnancy, and kids were born with our arms and legs. So we had a whole generation affected. But that's how allopathic medicine deals with it. But tell me about the pushback and how do you manage to stay um, as a practicing, I would say, practitioner mm -hmm. in the United States? What, why do you have pushback and how do you stay in practice? Tough question. Yes, uh, I know. We didn't tell you it was going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I do think that the funding is, is one of the main important uh, thing for homeopathy. We need lots of um, funding for studies, for studies, clinical research, and also a lot of unities needed. We're doing clinical research, um, but not publishing enough. Mm -hmm. um, if you're publishing, then somehow the hurdles comes up and say, oh, this, this happened in India, so it's not valid. Ah, okay. um, in one of the studies that in just one drop movie, um, I forgot that the the filmmaker, but she mentioned that the just one drop in just just one drop that there has been studies done in Australia, but they needed thirty cases for this study to go, and the the um, objects were twenty nine. Like oh my god, that was really behind. <laughs> so and people so, in India are not people, and they're not <laughs> human beings, so we cannot accept those studies either. So, so yes. I mean, it, it, it happened. But I do think that as homeopathy is gaining the popularity. Um, and that's the other reason. Why is it gaining popularity when everybody else is calling it a, like the people who are um, uh, educated in science and the healing arts, they call it sham science. But why is the public getting driven or pulled towards homeopathy? What do you think is the reason for that? I think it's a word of a mouth. Moms are looking for options, freedom of choice. I think that's one. And um, if you have one patient coming in, if they get better and that one person goes to another person and it's through the words that, no, I mean, it works. Who is behind? That's exactly the point. It works. It works. It, it actually works. Um, yeah. And also, I think those who are writing, it's a, it's a pseudoscience. We have to find out what's the benefit of that them uh, of saying this is pseudoscience. Either they don't understand or they don't want to understand. And in magic fields, they have shown the nanopharmacology. They have shown nanoparticles. It works. Um, it's... So the magic pill she's referring to is a documentary about homeopathy, and it's um, it's something that at some point if we can screen it, we'll try and screen it. Um, we just need people to buy tickets, so make sure those of you who are watching, I see four people watching if you want to uh, do the... Uh, so uh, those of you watching, if you support us, we will have this documentary about homeopathy screened sometime. 
Um, but in general, uh, one of the uh, biggest challenges I've noticed, even when we practice functional medicine, if you go on to Wikipedia, they call functional medicine as a pseudoscience. Hmm. But functional medicine also is like we're looking at the functioning of the cell. What we do in our practice is get your blueprint and tell you why your cells are not functioning the way they should and what needs to shift for them to function better. Okay, right. so there is a science. It is actually biochemistry and physiology, but a traditional doctor does not understand it, so they call right. it a sham. So the thing is, I always tell people, if you're not trained and if you haven't been exposed to a specific uh, subject, it's better not to give your opinion about it, but probably just go talk to a, a practitioner who does this and you might get, you know, some knowledge that you didn't have before. So um, coming back to, let's look at um, the specific, now we spoke about homeopathy working well for people who are normal, who don't have any abnormalities. What are the uh, absolutely uh, slam dunk conditions where homeopathy really has been shown over and over again to work? Most pediatric cases, mm -hmm. pregnant women, okay. respiratory issues, um, asthma, food allergies, GI. Um, I think those are most common. So those are all viral infections, the respiratory. respiratory. And what about pregnant women? What are we talking about? Because they cannot take anything else. During you mean during pregnancy. Nausea when you, yeah, I mean, some, some pregnant women will decide, I don't want to take Zofran. And um, I want for, to take okay. something natural. And mm -hmm. it um, we would give Epicac 30C or Pulsatilla 30C. And then they start feeling better. That's um, uh, one of the most um, common, like, you know, um, in pregnancy during pregnancy during infants do come quite a bit calling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, those are all very important things, like especially nausea. In fact, one of our clients, when she was pregnant, she was really struggling with the nausea and emesis, and we told her to have ginger, yeah. So, which is what we knew from Ayurvedic uh, or some of the studies done also, right? right? And so that would have been a good option. Um, and then you said um, respiratory uh, illnesses, so those are all viral infections. Right. And so a lot of infections it, right. it can help with. Even allergies, right? Asthma. Okay, as okay. Um, for respiratory. Because it's an immunomodulator. It right. basically changes how your immune system is functioning mm -hmm. so that it reduces your symptoms and improves your um, disease state. Immunity, right. Yeah, okay. And um, what are the other conditions? I think a, a bigger one that uh, which we saw in the documentary was um, HIV, the mm -hmm. retroviruses. And I think the biggest challenge, and it was very uh, impressive because in Africa and in the indigent areas where you're giving the antiviral treatments, the biggest challenge is they don't, um, they develop resistance to these medicines. Now, in a country like the United States, we can, we're able to switch the medicines around. Mm -hmm. But in a place like Africa where they don't have access to newer and newer retrovirals, just adding the homeopathy actually showed that the CD4 count comes up Came in the virus. quite a bit. Yes. yes. And it actually helps with the immunity. And right now, HIV is a chronic disease state. In the past, it used to be a death sentence. I remember when I started my practice in this country in 93, HIV meant you will get AIDS and you will die. We just had AZT at that time. That was the only retroviral. Now we have these combination medications and it's like any other 
disease process. People live forever. Right. And um, I think this would be a very good adjunct to their Romantic existing. Yeah. For that too. Yeah. Um, I think in that, what they've shown um, was also the diet and they didn't have enough nutrition um, oh. in, in Africa. Um, arsenicum album, mm-hmm. when you have diff- a severe cachexia, mm-hmm. weak, you know, really weak vitality, um, some of the remedies really work, do wonders for that as well. Okay. And um, what about um, other uh, more? The other conditions I think where people struggle with are cancers. Mm-hmm. And uh, cancer being uh, like, uh, for instance, breast cancer is very rampant in this country because we mm-hmm. have a the high estrogen state from a high insulin resistance. And when they get, um, let's say if it's a stage one mm-hmm. and they do take out the tumor, and then they want them to be on some kind of suppressive treatment, whether mm-hmm. it be tamoxifen or armidex, depending on what your what kind of uh, receptors that the mm-hmm. tumor has. And people find these um, uh, therapies very brutal when it comes to the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So okay. if they're looking for other remedies, would homeopathy be a good answer for them? Um, absolutely. Um, I, if they have a history, even family history of cancer, the nosodes that we talk about, which may it's made it from the infectious agent or mm-hmm. the tissue itself, ultra diluted, they are given at certain time every three months, six months, a year mm-hmm. for prevention as well. Okay. Um, and when they have the disease, depending on the symptoms, let's say if they have sharp shooting pain mm-hmm. in the breast or they have referring pain mm. from the breast to a different distant part of the body. There are remedies that you can use, for example, nerve remedy, hypericum. Mm. Um, if they're restless and you know they're, they need some kind of a comfort, you can give the remedies to help for palliative treatment as well as an adjunct medicine. Okay. Uh, anything from a nutrition standpoint for, uh, before you start homeopathic remedies, because we have our nutrition coach, right next door and uh, she a lot of what we do is address the modifiable risk factors in people's lives mm-hmm. um, their mindset their nutrition um, their movement um, mm-hmm. and and then as we look at the cell biochemistry and we're changing the functioning of the cell so how does that play in how much does nutrition is needed in homeopathic for homeopathic remedies to be successful that's a great question. Um, I found 10 years ago when I was giving one remedy at a time, I would see great improvement. But I do see as we are not eating well or are, are we have, I, would, I wouldn't say malnourished, but of course, you know, not having um, dietary issues, food intolerances, um, I do feel that those also needs to be corrected while you're taking homeopathic remedies. There's no point in taking the, any supplements if you're not taking doing the diet and lifestyle modifications. Yeah. Same way, homeopathic remedies will work along with the diet and lifestyle changes. I think that's also happened in Africa, if you remember, mm-hmm. uh, for HIV and AIDS. If, right. the, if the food is needed, you need that first, and then you do the homeopathic remedies. Um, yeah. So we have a different type of malnourishment than Africa. Right. right. They are yeah. undernutrition, we're overnutrition, but it's a nutrition that the cells cannot use. So the cells are actually undernourished. It's just a different way. And we we don't know what our cells need um, 
you know, birds don't have any confusion as to what they can eat. Uh, the deer has no confusion what they can eat. Wild animals have no confusion what they can eat. But as human beings, we're so confused as to what we should be eating. Mm -hmm. And uh, the food is working more as a poison or as a medicine for us. Um, I think there is Wikipedia is not a valid resource. So <laughs> I know that is true. Um, thank you for saying that. We do agree uh, Wikipedia is not a great resource. However, that's where a lot of people go. They either Google or they uh, wiki their information today since nobody knows what a library is anymore. Um, so, um, you know, sometimes it's important to get a good so, um you know, have a real good information and people have to look beyond what they are listening and information is information. We try to give you, here's a person who's actually practicing and who has results. And I know some of her um, clients and they are big fans of homeopathy and they always uh, feel that their lives have changed because they've started using homeopathic remedies. Is there anything that I'm not asking you that I should be asking you? Marina, go ahead and do something that I have missed. Um, I feel I, like I have a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. But it's all very interesting because, yeah, I always was under the impression homeopathy was pretty similar to herbalism and stuff. And you always go to the store and you see homeopathic remedies all over. Like, oh, this is what that is. And it's not. So yeah. so homeopathic remedies, you have to also figure out. We, we both can have flu and you would be thirsty and I would be thirstless. Our, our remedy will change. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very individualized. Um, you might need uh, aconite, which is one of the remedy for um, respiratory and also flu. But then I might need something else completely different because I have bone pains and you don't have the bone pains. Mm -hmm. The remedies are also different and they are all, it's not, yeah, it's misunderstood quite well that it is an herbalism. Yeah. How do you take it usually? What's the protocol when somebody comes you, in? You do take it um, orally. They are potentized versions. So um, the dilutions are different for weak and weak and feeble um, constitution. Your potency will be lower, which they have numbers. It's not grams or it's not weight-based. Mm -hmm. It's based on dilution. So when it says C, that means centesimal. So it's diluted 100 times. Mm -hmm. uh, one C is 100, 100 C. So... Um, their dilutions and based on patient susceptibility, you can give them orally, you can dilute them in the water for babies or, you know, breast milk, you can mm. give that as well. Mm. Okay, so the dilutions also will change based on the person? Based on the person's their susceptibility towards the disease. Okay. If you have a weaker person, they will take less frequently uh, compared to the strong constitution okay. as well. Got it because their aggravations will be otherwise stronger. So to just summarize, basically uh, homeopathic remedies are extracts from anything in nature, mm -hmm. or it has to be synthetically created. Mm -hmm. But the goal of the uh, treatment is to modulate or educate the immune system such that the symptoms are um, actually resolved. Correct, yes. Okay. And um, what are the side effects of homeopathy? This is, this is the um, most common question that I, I will have from my patient that there, we, it's not called side effect, it's called aggravation in homeopathy. When you give the remedy, 
they will have the symptoms will actually get worse for a short period of time and then they'll get better so it's considered as not side effect but it's it, it's kind of like aggravation mm-hmm. um and there are like 16 different kinds of aggravations that we have to watch for the patients when you give the remedy um i usually don't see uh, oh i gave this one remedy and then they ended up having some other disease mm-hmm. i don't see them coming up with other diagnosis so it's the same thing whatever the symptoms you're treating you're treating the symptoms might get worse but they do get eventually better they do get better now in worst in in some cases they will have provings and provings that i gave one long remedy and that remedy was for respiratory mm. but then they that remedy also had some anxiety so patient might come and say if they are very very um weak they might come and say uh, i th- i thought i felt a li- bit anxious, anxious but that was a part of the remedy so then they are proving which is indicating that they need a lower dose they don't need a higher dose see this is exactly what should happen in medicine till mm-hmm. we call it side effects but they are direct effects of giving a medicine Correct. right when you give a medication like for instance a statin you give a statin the goal is to reduce cholesterol but it also reduces your memory that's a direct effect of the statin it's not a side effect of statin <laughs> increase in liver enzymes is not a side effect of statin it's a direct effect of the statin <laughs> in that particular person but again you know we're not here to talk about a, i you know as much as i feel a little frustrated about uh considering medicine the conventional medicine as the only option of a modality of treatment which is why we like to talk to people like you who can open another a door for most people who cannot um tolerate the right. aggressiveness of an allopathic uh, remedy mm-hmm. um or treatment i'm mm-hmm. calling remedy now no it's not a remedy <laughs> it's a treatment right so like for instance chemo um chemo is very toxic for a lot of people but it is necessary sometimes in certain very aggressive cancers and uh coming to a homeopath after that in order to somewhat mm-hmm. prevent a recurrence or to get their immune system mm-hmm. once again reeducated is a very good option absolutely right right and i mean so how do we educate what do you think is the best way to educate oncologists or cardiologists or uh, an internist like me to say hey partner with a homeopathic practitioner so a lot of your patients can actually feel better and not necessarily have to struggle with just taking that one right. medication um education okay that's that's the key educating patients and then they are they, it's open minded right like i just got a call from someone who was in um rehab having a cll going through oncology treatment and having some symptoms and the nurse was open minded she talked to me and she said what are you giving what is what is homeopathy and that is when i started talking to her and and she was open minded so i was able to give some basic remedies um so we we really need more and more you know education and understanding that these we are not trying to work against you we are working with you correct and i i think that's that's a that's the biggest hurdle is how do we break these barriers because ultimately it's not about you and me it's about the uh patient we're catering to whatever works best for them is what we as practitioners should bring to the table okay. and if you have uh something that will 
uh, toned down what I know to give or um, has lesser side effects, then let's be open to it. Now, I guess one of the other things is um, the reason why an allopathic doctor might be hesitant to say go use homeopathy is one was the side effects, which you explained. But can somebody die from homeopathic treatment? People can die from chemotherapy, but can they die from homeopathic treatment? It's... I personally don't think that I've ever seen someone died from homeopathy. I think it's saved from homeopathy, but they might be doing something else, else. which might have affected them okay. for the death, as you would have seen in the book for cancer, that um, eventually the patient died, but it's not because that they died because they did homeopathy. They just yes. were doing homeopathy as a palliative treatment for the comfort Yes. Um, and not following their, their approach. They need to continue their medications until and their practitioner says, yes, you know, we feel comfortable. Now you go off of your blood pressure medicine or whichever medicine they are taking. So, And a lot of times I think when they bring in the lifestyle changes, I think they have more success because do they change the constitution of their cell when they change their mindset and their lifestyle? Does that change? That definitely changed, and along with um, the uh, the remedy itself, let's say one uh, person comes and says, oh, I have weak digestion, for example. Um, if you would find they're, they're, they're having lots of dairy, ice cream, whatnot. And on other side, if that personality remedy is very mild and yielding disposition, always says yes to everyone, and that remedy, for example, in homeopathy world is called pulsatilite. It's a beautiful flower. Sulfur, it is rich in sulfur. So that sulfur helps their liver and, and, you know, the whole digestive system. But on the other side, it helps them with their personality that it's okay to say no mm -hmm. because it's, it is the coping mechanism that that person has m maintained or managed. And it will change for betterment, but not for worse. So okay. that it does change their uh, personality, but for good, so that they will say, I can't say no, I can't. Yeah, so yeah. I, in, in many, many ways, what you're saying is some somewhere there's a biochemical transformation that's also happening, which probably changes their neurotransmitters and how less anxious how, they might feel and more right. um, stable. Something shifts there. And I think that's where the confusion comes, where if you're not able to exactly show through a basic lab studies that these are the changes that are happening, happening yes. um, it's difficult for mainstream medicine to consider it as a science-based uh, treatment protocol, and which I think is the biggest challenge. Yes. Um, and like I always tell people, one of the biggest shifts we've seen today in the grocery stores is, you know, you have more vegan options gluten-free options. And it's not because the grocery chain decided that we need to be healthy. It's because we as consumers decided that we will ask for those changes. Okay. So again, as the consumer changes, and one of our, the goals of our practice has been to uh, kind of open the doors where you understand there are other options out there other than just taking medicines and accepting your disease and managing your disease, but still having symptoms as the disease gets worse. So um, it's something that to keep in mind. Um, homeopathic remedies are an option for a lot of people with a lot of chronic diseases. 
So Marina, today, do you have any closing nutritional advice or were you just mesmerized by homeopathy? Yeah, I want to learn more about the snake venom. <laughs> oh, okay. well, she's really attracted to the snake venom. Why don't you what tell us? What does that mean? <laughs> why would you give somebody snake venom as a, as a homeopathic remedy? So <laughs> there are about 10, 11 snake venoms. They're all different. Um, I can to name some. Lachesis, Crotillus horridus. These are actually great remedies for hormonal um, shift when you're going through postmenopausal um, symptoms like hot flashes, waking up early in the morning, chilly, hot. You know, if you are not opting for hormone replacement therapy, mm-hmm. we have this snake venom remedies. Um, some of these are also very good remedies for cardiac troubles. Um, so high blood pressure some degenerative diseases. We have to, um, we have a book called Repertory and that is kind of our Bible to go to and we have to actually find out what are you, what symptoms that you're facing. Mm-hmm. And based on that, we actually decide which snake venom you might need or someone <laughs> might need that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you ever find um, you try something with somebody and they don't respond to it the way that you're hoping for and you have to kind of switch and... Figure out their exact. Yes, it, it does happen when I, the whole process of, uh, you know, case taking for homeopathy, I have to teach them what kind of questions that I am going to ask. Mm. And sometimes they are not tuned with their body. If I say, do you like cold or hot? And they're, they're just, they don't know for sure what do, what do they like. So sometimes that doesn't help me finding the right remedy. Sometimes I'm, they are saying some very in-depth um, emotions that I'm not able to understand that how important it is, and it might change my remedy as well. Okay. How many appointments, or how does this work? So if somebody wants to come see you, mm-hmm. how would it work? What's the process for them? Usually I talk to them for 10, 15 minutes before they come and see me, so I understand how much time I need with them. But most of my appointments are one and a half to two hours. Oh, wow. The first initial appointment um, is for one and a half to two hours. Okay. And what's the follow-up? That is anywhere between 30 minutes to 60 minutes. Okay. How often should should somebody come to see you? Usually if it's a chronic illness, I have them come every six weeks. Um, As they're doing well, then it's three months, six months at a time as well. Okay. Okay. Well, that uh, pretty much, uh, were you going to talk about snake venom being a nutritional option for you? Well, I'll try it out first. (laughs) Okay. Or whatever it is that it shows that I need. (laughs) I don't know. This is interesting. I love it. Yeah. It it was very interesting. I mean, like I was telling Marina, in India, uh, the poorest people go to the nearest Ayurvedic hospital because a lot of the treatments are very either free or mm-hmm. they're very little. The people, the upper middle class used to go to homeopathic, homeopaths because in general, the culture is such that we don't like to take medicines. And then the higher class actually go to the regular allopathic doctor, <laughs> which is just the opposite here, oh, where everybody goes to the allopathic doctor. And if they feel like, hey, I want to have a different approach, then they start going to the um, 
yeah. or they're more the educated yeah, to a functional medical or an alternative or a complementary uh, provider because they know there are other modalities that will help their body get back their function. So I, I really don't think there are too many questions. And if the questions do come through later, I will obviously forward them to you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for actually enlightening us. And I, I, I think this at least piqued our interest in knowing a little more about mm -hmm. homeopathy and um, probably we should go for some classes yeah and that'll help us at least do the basic um uh, understanding of homeopathy and if we can help people who don't want to take medicines get better then that should be a very good option mm -hmm. so once again thank you for those of you who joined us remember to go to holistic um uh, icon.com. God, I forgot my own website <laughs> name. So holisticicon.com to learn a little more about our practice or Nisha Chalam MD, which is our Facebook page. Um, join our Holistic Icon community. Listen to this podcast again on iTunes. And uh, Uma, uh, where can they actually reach you if they wish to uh, connect with you? Yes. Um, so I work out of Bioenergy Medical Center. You can um, go to our website www.bioenergymedicalcenter.com or our phone number is 734-995-3200 and um, you can ask them to speak with me and I'll be happy to talk to them. Okay, so basically this is the one in Ann Arbor. I think a lot of people know Dr. A, a new, yeah, yes. and uh, because I, a lot of them do talk to me about uh, him too, because we do a program and you guys do appointment based. So you know when somebody wants to go completely a program, yeah, appointment based, they go to Ann Arbor. So uh, once again, thank you so much, and we will put uh, Omar Desai's information in the comment section with a telephone number if anybody wants to connect with her. And thank you once again for joining us. Thank yeah. you, Dr. Chen. Thank you for joining us on the Holistic Icon Podcast. Subscribe for the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes or visit holisticicon.com to listen to past episodes. Want to take control of your health and live a life of wellness? Dr. Chellum's best-selling book, Transform Your Thyroid, teaches you how to overcome fatigue, depression, weight gain, and more, and is available on amazon.com.